What does it take to get beyond the damage of words? I'm Katrina Collier. Join me each week as I explore what it takes to step into a happier future. My guests are sharing their stories of when they realized that they needed help and what it took to take that first step so that you leave inspired and maybe even start on your own path to self-love, care, compassion, and of course, happiness. So without further ado, let's hear their stories. Troy Hammond, welcome to Beyond the Damage of Words podcast. I am absolutely thrilled to be talking to you because we've just realized it's been like six years or seven years since we've seen each other, which is mad. Um, I was open straight off with the question of what led you into healing? What happened? Yeah, well, I think as as we were just talking about before the podcast, I... um, I found myself in a position where I was like mid thirties carrying a lot of like childhood trauma. Um, and I, it was like, it was a real fork in my road where I realized yeah. that as a father, I could either be a great role model and heal myself and really do the work on myself to be mm-hmm. someone that I wanted my kids to be proud of, or I could take the easier path which was wallow in self-pity, not heal myself, just keep masking things and, and doing things, which is a lot easier, you know, and, and a lot of people take oh, that yeah. path. Um, but I decided that and yeah, I, think I wanted so- to be- Society makes you want to mask, doesn't it? There's almost this desire for perfection all the time that it's it becomes very easy to do that, but it's not sustainable as you discovered. Yeah. Well, especially in this society, right, where everything's on social media and everything's a veneer of what your life is, you know, and you're trying to show the best parts of your life. It's so much easier just to yeah. put a mask on and pretend everything's okay and, you know, not feel the judgment of, you know, a million people on social media or the, the lack of likes, which is probably even more important these days on social media, right? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, I totally interrupted your train of thought. So you were deciding in that fork yeah, which I, way you were going to go. Yeah, it was a pretty heavy time for me in my life. Like I went through pretty um, like divorce, um, young kids, had a business, you know, that I'd set up only a couple of years prior. So it was a um, pretty heavy time in my life. And I just remember looking down at my kids and thinking, I don't want to do what my parents did. And that sort of, you know, that childhood trauma that I carried forced me to, well, not forced me, but um, allowed me to be a a version of myself that I didn't like to, you know, mm. to cover up what was going on in my life. And it wasn't until that day that I decided to go to psychology, you know, and I was like, hey, I really need to talk to someone about this, that I was able to understand. Well, I was able to forgive myself as a young child. And it's funny, right? You hear this term all the time in psychology, forgive yourself, you know, forgive that version of yourself. But when you go through the process, it's so true. Like I'll give you some backstory on my life. Um, yeah, so my, I grew up with my mum was a full-blown alcoholic. Um, she um, was pretty manipulative and horrible to us because of, you know, like narcissist behaviour where because she knew how horrible she was as a person, she would be super, super lovely or horrible and cold. And when she was horrible and cold, you know, she would try and make up for it two weeks later with, you know, acts of kindness and, um but within those two weeks, she was like drunk most of the time, or she'd have guys around and likes, and so yeah. And so my parents separated when I was yes. ten, I think I was. Yeah. Um, and then I, um, I remember the first time I went to my dad ended up um, meeting someone that we knew, like a family friend, mm-hmm. and 
because my mum was having an affair and that's why he left. But because he went off to meet, he went with someone that we knew as a family friend that just sent my mum over the cliff and she would go around my dad's house and throw rocks through the windows and, you know, like it was, they would be constantly fighting all the time. And, and there was the blame, you know, put on us as kids, you know, and so, yeah, yeah so I developed it wasn't this. her fault. It wasn't her fault. It was obviously your fault and your dad's fault and your stepmom's yeah. fault. It was everyone else's fault. Yeah. yeah I have well, one yeah. for a mother. I know how this works. I be- Yeah, tough, yeah. really tough. Narcissists are pretty easy to understand when you when you read up about it and, you know, like it's... When um, you're out of the web. Yeah. Indeed, <laughs> when indeed, you've gone indeed. free. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I had to... So I had to pretend a lot as a 10-year-old. Like I had to... Yeah. Like, because my dad was really worried about what was happening at my mum's house. Um, and he would say, Is everything okay? And I'd just pretend, put a mask on, and say, Everything's fine. You know, even though mm. he, he had no idea that I was like, My mum wasn't home for weeks on end. I was 11 years old making dinners and breakfasts and lunches for my brother and having to steal food, you know, for just, you know, to feed him. And then I'd go to my dad's house and it would be great. You know, like we'd have a, a functioning family with like my brother and my two stepbrothers and, and then my mum, my stepmom, and my take dad. It you f- Did you feel like you couldn't tell your dad the truth because it would create these explosions? Yeah, and all yeah, of well, this drama. Yeah, so my it's dad would rush around to ten or eleven year old. No, it's it's horrible, right? And cause, and then that you'd feel that blame, right? As a kid, that's that's why you got to feel sorry for yourself because you feel that blame. Like I felt like I was the one that made this happen because my dad would come around, they'd have a huge fight, they'd be you know, like police were involved, they'd be screaming at each other. And I felt the blame of that was my fault. I shouldn't have said anything. And so you learn pretty quickly as a kid just to keep your mouth shut or or you put this mask yeah. on and pretend everything's okay. And so I'd say to my dad, yeah, everything's great. Now mum's home a lot. She's not drinking. And then when I get back from my dad's, my mum would say, oh, you know, how was it at your dad's? And I go, oh, yeah, it was pretty crap actually. You know, didn't have fun at all. And mum go, yeah, good. You know, like he's not a great guy and they're not a great family. And so I realised, well, I didn't realise, but I – as a child, what what happened for me is I I was trying to seek love from other people to fill my own cup, you know, and just by putting mm-hmm. these masks on. When I told people what they yeah. wanted to hear, I became better exactly. about myself. What I didn't actually become better, but I didn't become worse. And so that was the trait that mm. I learned. Yeah, and so that yeah. and that it's happened that um that, that, that almost that's how the people pleasing and perfectionism and things like that start. It's, it's yeah, when you're indeed. always putting someone else's needs ahead of your own to feel yeah, safe. Yeah. You actually probably yeah. did that to feel safe. Oh, of course, right? Yeah. Of course. And so, and then I did the worst thing that you can do uh, when someone's in that situation. Left school at fourteen and got a job in sales. Stupid idea. Because then I'm just going out and using using that skill set that I'd honed to um, please people. Um, for a craft yeah. and obviously you know if someone um, I bet you were very enough, good at it I was very good yeah I was <laughs> I was it. very good at understanding what people's empathetic needs were very quickly in a situation yeah. and then telling them exactly what they wanted to hear and so so then I started making a lot of money from from using this craft that I developed and so mm. that probably just empowered me as a you know 16 year old to then to think well this is this is who I am now and so then it became my mantra that I'm gonna I'm gonna woo myself out of this situation by becoming rich and successful and I don't ever want to have to feel that pain that I went through you know starving and stealing food and doing all these things again so 
my mantra was, you know, I can do whatever I want. You know, I can grow myself out of this. And so, and then I said, that's what I did. Such a shame that comes with the the stealing for food. Yeah. um, Yeah. I've written about like doing a lot of work on money and the energy around money. And some of my earliest memories are stealing my father's small change so I could get food on the way home from school. And just just so many emotions around that, like kind of anger that he didn't give me the money in the first place and then shame that I stole and all this kind of stuff. And we weren't, we weren't as destitute a situation as you're talking about either. So yeah, I can and, only imagine what you were feeling. And, and it's still surprising Crazy. me now. Like I've got a, I've got a, um, I shouldn't say this on a podcast, but I've got a drawer with some cash in it that I always keep there just if I ever need some cash. Mm-hmm. And my daughter last night, she was like, oh, Dad, can That's we go okay. We know you live in Auckland. Yeah. So my daughter said, Dad, can I get some cash to go down to the dairy and get something? Dairy is... What, yeah. a corner store for you or a milk bar for Australia. Yeah, yeah. Um, milk bar and, for Australia. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, hey, go down and, you know, go and grab some cash. And then I found myself like walking in the check how much she'd taken. But for her, she has no concept of like worrying about taking this money or thinking that there's a lot of money there or a lot. And, you know, she's just like, took $20. She came back and gave me the change. Where if that was me as a kid, yeah. I would have been like, oh my God, I'm going to feed myself here for three months. You know, I'm going to steal as much yeah. as I can to, you know, to do things. And so, it's yeah, it's so lovely to know that that's money isn't her motivator, you know, but it was my motivator, and so sadly it it carried me mm. through a lot of my life, you know, like I I let the 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 aspiration of being rich and successful um, carry me through mm. a lot of grind. So it took me out of a shitty situation mm. in my family because I moved out of home when I was sixteen. Uh, no, 14, yeah. sorry. I moved out of home when I was 14 and a half. As soon as I could leave school, I was like, see you later, I'm out. And went into, yeah. um, I did a shitty job first, painting apprenticeship. Don't recommend that unless you're an alcoholic or a drunk. Or a, yeah. And then found sales. Yeah. And then that that yeah. led me out of that. Um, but And, and it, to be honest, it, brought, it brings you, money brings you short-term happiness. You know, like it, mm-hmm. it took me away from the pain That's that true. I was feeling. It it makes so you, you feel like you, mentioned, you can do anything. Yeah. So I'm thinking of your journey. So from there, and obviously I know you've got married and then have since it's you've got divorced, but you mentioned psychology. So what was the step that led you to that point? So you've, well, it was you've because, obviously realized you're building a yeah, building a building in a direction that actually wasn't healthy for you. Yeah. So I got I, – I, that led me to creating a company. Like it led me from sales yeah. to sales, lots of money, and then led me credit to creating a company. And then that company was very successful. Yeah. And so my modus operandi as a father and as a husband was mm-hmm. to put food on the table and to have a beautiful house and a successful life and take yeah. my family on holidays. Mm-hmm. And so that's the way I thought that I had to give, you know, and so I'm my love language yeah. is gift giving or, you know, showering people with, with yeah. things. And so it turns out that wasn't my ex-wife's love language. You know, I was working yeah. away a lot. You know, I was grinding. I yeah. was always out entertaining clients and doing things. And hers was quality time, I probably guess, you know. And so, uh, okay. that led to, yeah, that led us to. By the way, um, this is the five love languages. If people, if anyone listening hasn't heard of the five love languages, I actually think it's one of the easiest tools to have in the toolbox. There's yeah, just well, once you know what somebody's love language is or their main one is, is super, super easy. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, through psychology. Having, uh, and having through, been hugged by me quite several times, you can guess mine's touch, right? 
there's not that much wrong with him. He seems to have it together. And that's just because I was lying. You know, I, was, I wasn't letting him in. I wasn't telling the truth. Um, and it wasn't until... You started um, putting those barriers up as a kid. You weren't about to let anybody in quickly. They're right to get through those barriers. <laughs> yeah, I was probably trying to make him feel better, my psychologist. You know, like at the end of the, yeah. the, end of the session, I would have been like, oh, he must feel better now. Oh, he's going to have a great day. Yeah. Me, me, terrible day, but yeah. And it wasn't until yeah. I... Yeah, there's um, that people-pleasing, isn't it? That's that. Yeah. 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 Make everyone happy. He said something to me, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but he said, and what I want you to do this time, Troy, is be honest. And I said, what? And he goes, well, you know, you've spent your first three sessions telling me your version of your life. How about we hear about your life now? And I was like, oh, shit. You know, and there was something about that that just went, okay, well, I'm just going to be honest now. And, And then at the end of that session, I felt better. You know, and it was the first time that I'd felt better in a long time. And so then you were sane. Yeah, you? yeah, you exactly. Were sane. Maybe Troy so was sane. I, like Yeah. So I decided from from then on, you know, like I was I was gonna try and heal, heal myself. And as you'll know, right, it's a it's a marathon, it's not a half marathon or a sprint, you know, it's a it's a full on yeah, marathon. It's yeah. I mean it's just it's getting through those layers and layers and layers and or it's complex as well and particularly yeah. when you've had um the narcissism so you've had the ghosting so you're thinking well w- w- there's always that what was the truth what was the reality that bloody gaslighting yeah yeah, so yeah. Well, the, that's amazing the, so obviously oh sorry yeah i was gonna say the hardest thing for me was that i still carried pretty bad anxiety because of that like even as i was sort of healing myself and then that manifested into like for years before I was divorced and a couple of years after as I was trying to fix myself to like full on panic attacks, trying to un like, and, and I wasn't sure, I wasn't ever sure of why I was getting anxiety or panic attacks because as I was healing myself, I felt like I was a lot better and I didn't feel like I was carrying yeah, stress. Yeah. But, and so I wasn't, I wasn't sure. It's a lighter, so I don't you, as it's going. Yeah. It's like you just keep start getting lighter and lighter, yeah. Yeah, and but, but, yeah, then, but then occasionally I'd be at work and I would just feel like I was dying. You know, I couldn't catch my breath and then I'd have to go and sit in the boardroom and take my shoes and socks off for some reason. That that was what I did and feel the carpet on my feet and try and feel, you know, in touch with the world and, and then that would calm me down or I would call someone. I used to be able to call my ex-wife. You can, uh, mm-hmm. It's not so great to call your ex-wife once she's your ex-wife. And so, you know, then I re- realized I had to figure out. I don't know. I call my ex-husband all the time. So yeah. <laughs> I think it's lovely that you've kept your friendship. Like it is oh, good yeah, that you can. It's great now. It's great now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, but at that point. It's interesting you say about taking your shoes off. On a spiritual, you were grounding. Like you were bringing yeah. yourself down into the earth. That's what you were doing by taking your shoes off, which I love. Like we don't yeah, well, touch the earth enough. People don't see people that don't get anxiety or panic attacks can't understand what it is. And I would say, like the way I describe it to people is, it's like imagine fight or flight, and you imagine yeah. times that like that fear of someone's chasing me or someone's doing it. Times that by yeah. a thousand, um, your heart's racing, you're sweating, you can't control your thoughts, you feel like you're spinning in a room. Um, you, I, I, mine, my manifest into breathing, so I can't catch my thought, my breath, and then I become short of breath, and then I feel like I'm, I'm dying, and so, yeah, I, I was getting this a lot, and so I started yeah. reading about this, and as I, 
you know, was healing myself in, in every way. I wanted to fix this. This was the last thing that I wanted to fix. And so I watched like every YouTube video I could on anxiety. I read every book. I listened to every podcast. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, I read about um, psychedelic treatment for yeah. Um, yeah. for depression and anxiety. And I watched a, a mm-hmm. documentary. I read a book. And then I thought, well, I'm going to try this. And so I... Um, I went and I don't recommend it. I'm not a doctor, and so don't 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 do as I say. Do research, but I did a really yeah. high um, dose LSD um, experience to learn about my um, anxiety, and mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was it was a bad trip for what it's worth. It was um, yeah. a pretty horrible. So you did that on I your own. I did it on my own in my house by myself. Yeah, that's definitely not recommended. There are places that you can definitely go and have it safely administered as well. Like microdosing is now a thing as well. Like it's psychedelics are growing, but safely there are, yeah. Don't do Troy. There's so many human (laughs) trials now that are, um, you know, not stupid guy on his own. But um, what happened to me was I went to a pretty dark place where I thought that, I thought that I was actually trapped inside my body. I thought I had locked in syndrome and I had that for about five hours. And then. Oh, my word. Yeah. (laughs) Towards the end of that five hours, I started thinking to myself, what am I actually worried about? Even if I am locked in for the rest of my life, like, what am I worried about? And I thought my kids are going to be okay because I've been a great dad. You know, my ex has been a great Mm -hmm. mom. We've given them a fantastic life. They've got the right values. No matter if I die or if I'm locked in or whatever it is, I'm going to be okay. They're going to be okay. And because of that, I'm going to be okay. And it was like a light just went off in that moment where I just thought, oh, I don't need to worry about that anymore. And then um, I came out of that. Do you, um, can experience. you see the symbolism of what, yeah. why you were trapped now? Yeah. So like now at that time, but it was like almost like an ego death, wasn't it? Because you had that, all of the masks, that were keeping you stuck and you blasted through it by going, actually, everything will be okay. A hundred percent. And that's what it is now. now permission. Yeah. Yeah. And so now anytime I feel like there's a moment of anxiety where I'm going to wear a mask or I'm going to do things, I just run towards it, you know, and I just say, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just going to run, run towards that and fix that or look at that or see what's going on over there. Um, and, yeah. you know, 9.9. Just be curious about it, and, you know. Yeah, it's usually nothing, right? It's usually nothing. And and if I fix little things really quickly and iterate on my life, you know, like get the mm. get the thing sorted quickly and move on, it becomes no big deal at all. And now, yeah, now I I feel weightless. I feel I'm yeah. very open about it. You know, I think I post about it all Which the time. Is, I saw that post. Yeah. Yeah. So what? Is, hang on. There was I've had about fifty to sixty people. You were doing though. Sorry. Oh, did you? You yeah, I've had about 50 or 60, or 60 people. people reach out to me off the back of that post telling me that they're not okay. And um, ah. and I've said, hey, let's just go out for coffee. And so I've had about 30 or 40 coffees. There's some people that don't want to have coffee yet, but I'm just keeping in touch Amazing. with them. Um, and that's like so. And are we talking men as well? I would say mostly, mostly okay. men. Mostly men, but yeah, about. Yeah, because it's 30, 30%. New Zealand, Australia, England, stiff upper lip. You know, yeah. don't speak, shush, don't cry. Well, we've got so much generational trauma. I am so glad that they have 
got in touch with you and that you're giving them that space to speak up. Yeah, yeah. And I think now in that post you were talking about was it boxing? Yeah. To remind yeah, yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Note yourself, don't do podcast recording this late, even if you are in New Zealand. So it's the only time I could do it. Yeah, now there's, a, my brain there's an amazing charity over here, um, charity fight night here called IT Heavy Hitters. Mm. And it came about a yeah. friend of mine, Mike, Mike Dawes, runs it. He's His friend uh, unfortunately committed suicide. Um, and mm-hmm. so he realised that there's a lot of people in IT jobs or in, people, in jobs where they're not communicating that well with people who are you know, suffering from depression and unfortunately committing yeah. suicide. And so... There were 606 suicide deaths in New Zealand last year, which may not sound a lot, but when you think about the size of the population. There's only 4 million of you out there. Yeah, exactly. That's insane. Yeah. And so so he set it upon himself to create this boxing event called IT Heavy Hitters. And the... It's funny when I talk about... I talk about it a lot, boxing, and people always go, "Oh, oh, 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 I couldn't do that. And I'm like, yeah, but the boxing fight night is just the cherry on top, is the reality. Yeah. The real fight is turning up on the very first day of boxing training camp. You know, if you can turn up on that first day, you've already won. Because like in my situation, I was unfit. You know, I was smoking cigarettes, drinking a lot too much at the time. And I thought, I can't do this. And Mike just kept texting me going, oh, mate, you're going to love it. You'll you'll love it. And so then I turned up on day one and you look around the room and there's everyone like you, people that are unfit or people that are introverted and haven't spoken in a long time. And you all do this really hard stuff together and it 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 just you you watch people like you watch mm-hmm. you you're going you're sparring with someone and you're punching them in the face and then afterwards they're coming out and they're giving you the most massive hug and they're like oh man that was so much fun you know that was that was awesome let's yeah. go and get a coffee after this and and you see these people that are just awakening themselves you know through this like archaic primitive process but yeah. what it's doing yeah. is it's showing them that they they have some power to push past this moment you know in their times and and then as you get fitter yeah. you know you, the, the more physically stronger you are the more mentally the stronger you can be. and so yeah well at the end of the process not everyone gets a fight because they really make sure that they're safe around who's got the right skills and, mm-hmm. and comparing people up yeah. that, you know are going to hurt each other it's so only about 30% of people who go through the training can't get a fight. But the people that go through that are some of my best friends today because, you know, we we shared a bond that was phenomenal. And so, yeah. yeah. It's, um, what I, was it like? Talk about that first day. Let's encourage some people to turn up. How did you feel like when you, so I'll you know, t- so heavy I'll smoking, yeah. heavy drinking, so overweight, what. like I finally turned up. <laughs> what so was six, going through your head as you walked in the door? <laughs> So I'll, I'll start six weeks before, right? Because I thought okay. I can't go. I can't go to a training camp like that in the shape that I'm in. So I'm going to start running, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get super fit. So when I get there, I'm going to be fit and ready is to go. This after then, the half marathon. This is no, like this is, later than yeah, the half. This is oh no, this was like before actually, and so yeah. Oh okay, okay. So, yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start running, and then um, I no, actually it was a year later. Sorry, it was a year later. Okay, so then yeah. I. Um, and when I say I did a half marathon, I did a half marathon, but I was not in any shape. And, you know, like it wasn't, it, you know, I'm, I, I rolled Mental down strength. pretty much. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then I started six weeks before and I'm going to run. Yeah. So I got up, at, set up at five, got up at five every morning and started running. And that lasted yeah. about four days. And then I quit that because 
oh, that was too hard. You know, that's too effing early. That's why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then I started smoking again, started drinking again, thinking, yeah. oh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go to this thing. And then the, yeah. the night before, Mike Dawes texted me and he was like, hey, man, it's, um, it's a 5 a.m. start tomorrow. I've told everyone you're coming. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so, yeah, I jumped in my car. I got there. I had hardly had any sleep because I was really worried about it and freaking yeah. out. Um, uh, and then we got there and we sat around and just talked for like 20 minutes first. And uh, and then they told us what it was going to be like. And then they then proceeded to put me through probably the hardest hour and a half session I've ever been through in my life where I was like, you didn't get time to think because you just had to get straight into it. And that was their process is that get you working really hard um, show you one of the hardest sessions first and then at the end of it they said to us all you can do this now you've just proved to us that you can do yeah. this because you've just done a really hard like we were doing like work punching the bag as hard as we could for five minutes and then getting down doing 100 burpees oh and then God. getting up punching the bag again running around the block for two times punching the yeah, air it was like constant and you'd see wow. these crossfit bunnies that had obviously done some work before that were you know in the group that were running ahead of you and but you saw other people just come up to each other and, like, people would just say, hey, man, keep going. Like, well, as soon as you, your arms would be so heavy that you'd stop throwing punches. Yeah. And then someone would come up to you and say, you can do it, Troy. Well, I'd say it to someone and, and you support each other. And then at the end of that very first session, you, give, you get this self-belief that you're like, maybe I can do this. You know, maybe I can do this. It, it's yeah. not a no anymore. It's a maybe. And then yeah. maybe not, but I'm on the maybe side. And then... Mm. After about two weeks of just continuing to show up every day, then you're like, maybe, yes, I can do this. And once you push past that maybe to maybe yes zone in anything you do, that a mm. fire in you comes alive, you know, and then you realise that you yeah. can do anything you want. Yeah. And so how all of the anxiety is gone? Well, most of the anxiety is gone. Now you're curious if you get some, but like you're not having any panic attacks or... No, I never have. Like I've never now. had a panic attack since that LSD session. Since I, I definitely have feel. I oh. definitely have anxious moments. Yeah, since since the LSD session, I haven't had a, a panic attack since. Okay, but and again, I, people, please don't do that yeah. in that amount at home, unsupervised. Yeah. I, <laughs> there are professionals. Right. One can go and see for that. Caveat, caveat, caveat. <laughs> yeah, you can do it without drugs, right? And I think what it is is yeah. that you. But it does help with the with the my understanding from the psychedelics as far as the ones that they're doing the microdosing the research you know these experiences it does help particularly with childhood trauma kids who've just got so many layers up it just helps yeah. that we can get through and start the healing faster so yeah um, but and it's better to do it supervised it's proving <laughs> everywhere now. like there's yeah there's a good documentary on Netflix change your mind I think it yeah. is um, if you want to mm. learn more about it but. Now I, I get anxious yeah, feelings now and I get things come on with like I can feel anxiety come on. But what I do now is I just I think of it as a thing now and I just put yeah. it over there and say, oh, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna put that over there and I'm gonna run towards the thing that's making me feel anxious now. And I think because yeah. it's because I'm a lot clearer in my head now, I understand why I'm feeling anxious. Like I know what the thing is that's making me anxious. Where beforehand mm-hmm because I had so many masks on and I was just weighed down with so much shame and guilt and stress that I couldn't decipher what was the mm. thing at the time that was making me anxious. But now because I can, yeah. I run straight towards that. And, and a, lot of, a lot of the time that's um, 
if you if you fuck up in something like if you make a mistake i i go oh katrina i'm so sorry i screwed this up um you know like mm. i should have done better on this and you know and then nine times out of ten you'll say it's okay you know we can fix it you know and and so many people just don't get that like they don't get run yeah. towards problems like don't be scared mm. of like saying sorry don't be scared of just saying i stuffed this one up and because what it does yeah. is it just and now i'm gonna uh, learn and not do it again yeah. Yeah, and yeah. and a lot of like, I think a lot it's, of again, like, it's hard as well if you've grown up in a house like I did, where you know I was pretty well scared to breathe. You know, there was always a repercussion. It takes a really long time to get to that point where you kind of go, "Okay, I made a mistake. Whatever, moving on." Yeah, it's and yeah. it is liberating, isn't it, when you get there and you're just like, "Okay." <laughs> but it does. But it's not just childhood trauma, right? Like a lot of people listening to this probably thinking, mm-hmm. "Well, I have depression and I have anxiety, and I didn't feel any of that." and I'm reminded of like I watched that Robbie Williams yeah. documentary. If you've seen that yet on Netflix, you know, like the no. guy, it's it is phenomenal, phenomenal. Like he is yeah. the most open, authentic, amazing person. After watching that documentary, he mm. he details like mm. his battle with depression and anxiety, and he would yeah. get panic attacks up on stage, and um, mm. and so it can happen to anyone, you know. And it's not until you yeah. understand why. You know, and do the work yeah. on trying to figure out what's what the problem is that you can get past it. You got to do that. Actually, that's very true. I shouldn't say it's just childhood trauma. I mean, it can be things like abandonment as well, but it can also be in the gene pool. Like it can be in your DNA. Um, it didn't start with you. The book by Mark Wallen is fascinating read for that. How it can come down, like even from your grandparents, two yeah. people, well, and they're daughter- totally impacted on what their grandparents experienced. It's my my daughter gets anxiety and panic yeah. attacks. And so I have to teach her how to deal with those. And she hasn't, she's, she's you know, 14, 15, 15. Um, she hasn't had a hard life. She's had a great life. Um, but she just, uh, unfortunately, it's part of her DNA. And so I have to yeah. like teach her how to deal with those. And it's, it's challenging because so my ex-wife, um, when we first separated, her panic attacks are probably because of our separation, if anything. Um, she couldn't yeah. understand her panic attacks and just she, she would say to her, you know, like, get over it type thing, you know, like you're just, you're just yeah. being a kid, you know, and, and I was like, oh, actually, you know, she's, she's having full-on anxiety attacks, you know, these are, these are hard. And so and would that be like your top piece of advice for somebody? Like if you just understand this is a process, like it, it, that sounds wrong. It's a thing that they're going to get through, like the, with the panic attack. For someone who's not experienced someone having them, yeah. If you, if you, if you, if there's someone in your life that's having a panic attack, um, mm. and and full on like panic attacks vary in nature, right? So my mm. panic attacks and my daughter's panic attacks, unfortunately, are breath related. So we feel like breathing. we're dying, yeah. you know, and so breathing and short of breath and sweating, um, they are real, you know, they are debilitating. Yeah. And if you know someone that's going through what you the best thing that you can do is you can just sit down and be really calm in your voice and you just talk to them and you don't talk about the anxiety you don't talk about that thing you talk about anything else and so with my daughter like every 14 year old girl at the moment it's taylor swift and so i might sit down and just talk to her about the taylor swift concert that we're going to in february and i wonder if our seats are going to be good or if i wonder if our angle we're going to be able to see this song and and then I, all of a sudden I can see her eyes start to come back to me, you know, and she's thinking about Taylor Swift, which is taking her away from her panic. And 
it gets to the point where she starts calming down. Then we just keep talking about Taylor Swift for the next five to ten minutes until she's completely forgotten that she's had a panic attack. And so that's that's in my experience the best way to help someone through. Yeah, yeah. but that's brilliant. Advice. I've never seen someone have one. I wouldn't know what to do. So actually, thank you for that, because then I will know what to do. So yeah, I've, really I've called that. the ambulance um, um, for myself three or four times, and you know, like it's thinking that I was going to die. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you didn't, because you're still one yeah. of the top people I know. Um, if people would like to get in contact with you to hear more, particularly perhaps if they're in New Zealand, and we're not talking about the cash draw, obviously, because you're in Auckland. Um, <laughs> I'm going to clean up but if people want to get in touch, <laughs> yeah, it's got a lock on it. Um, what's the easiest? What's your preference for people to get in touch? Do you want it yeah, through I'm, work or through LinkedIn or what would you prefer? Yeah, LinkedIn. Well, they're or not getting in touch. In, you can tell people LinkedIn, not to get in touch. Instagram, <laughs> yeah, jump jump on and send me a message on LinkedIn or Instagram. I don't really post much. I used to be across everything, and then I've, I'm very protective of my energy and my time now, and so. Um, yeah. You'll get if you do message me on LinkedIn, you'll get an out of office reply straight away that says, "Hey, I don't really check yep. this this that much." And if you message me yeah, on Instagram, that made me you may laugh. Yeah, I may not look at it straight away, but I I have moments a week now where I sort of check in and have a look at those messages. And so, uh, mm. or if you see me in the street, just come up and say hello. I love that. I love that, Troy. Thank you so so much for your openness and your honesty. I really appreciate it. No, oh, my pleasure. I think. The best thing that you can do is talk about this stuff. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in to Beyond the Damage of Words. How brave, how vulnerable. All to inspire listeners like you to take a step or inspire others to take a step. Imagine what healing we could create if we normalise this conversation. So please pass this on and of course subscribe so we can do just that. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you.